Hello and welcome to this Endo Life Season 3, Episode 22. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about bringing you guests who are helping others to live and thrive with endometriosis. Today I'm talking to Kate Magic. We're discussing differences between male and female hormones and how getting our hormone hormonal needs met or not getting them met can hugely impact our overall well-being and our ability to function healthily, happily and optimally in society. Endometriosis is of course um, encouraged and thrives off estrogen and um, many of us have estrogen dominance when it comes to living with endo and a lot of us in society are also just living with our hormones completely out of whack so this conversation really is fascinating um a really eye-opening introduction to understanding how hormones all work together and how the way we're living is affecting um us but before i go in further i wanted to give a little word about our sponsors you guys Thank you both to Jane Braxton and Kelly Marie, who are both now endo friends of the podcast after donating and supporting this endo life through Patreon. By supporting this endo life through Patreon, you guys help keep it going. Um, I really want to ensure this podcast reaches and helps as many people as possible. Um, and I can't really do that without some help. Uh, the show and the site cost both time and money to produce and maintain and so donating as little as like two dollars will help me cover these costs so firstly a big heartfelt thank you to our current sponsors a big thank you to everyone listening for listening and if you're able to support please go and visit my patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash this endo life and i will put the link in the show notes i really cannot thank you enough um yeah just a big thank you Finally, this episode and the Endo Life, the This Endo Life music was edited and produced by the Podfarm, podcast editing services for new and established podcasts. Visit thepodfarm.com to find out more about their services and how they can help you grow your podcast from just an idea to a polished and successful show. So back to Kate Magic. Kate Magic is the founder and creative direction of Raw Living, Europe's leading raw food and superfood suppliers. You've probably seen their stuff in the likes of Planet Organic and things like that. Um, she's also a well-known raw vegan who wrote the UK's first raw recipe book in, back in 2002 and then went, then went on to write the world's first raw superfood book, Raw Magic. Um, she's now just launched her amazing new book, The Empowered Woman, which has been life-changing for me and has kind of sent me on a quest to understand and work with my hormones the best I can. Um, the Empowered Woman is all about female hormones, women's empowerment and working with our body to support our hormones in order to feel our best. It is it's just such an eye-opening book. The amount of things that I've learned from reading the book that I'm like, wow that makes so much sense now even if you don't have endometriosis um it's just a complete game changer because you know we all have hormones um and they're not just in the form of estrogen progesterone and testosterone they're also in the form of dopamine and serotonin so it's understanding how all of these chemicals work together um especially when you're living with a condition or you're living with a hormonal imbalance. Um, the book is called The Empowered Woman um, and we are generally talking, we're talking very generally because we explore kind of like the stereotypes of male and female roles. But um, as always, this podcast is inclusive. So just be aware that because you might have female um, associated hormones, it, you know, we're not assuming that you are cis female um, or identify as female. So, um, yeah, this is really for anyone with female associated hormones. Um, so, oh gosh, it's so fascinating. I'm just going to let you listen because I don't think I can sum up this conversation in a sentence. I'm just going to be blabbing forever. Um, oh, one thing we talk about maca in this conversation. And you understand more when you get to it. But I just wanted to say that um, I'm currently, um, I've enrolled on a women's health coaching course um, and I'm studying that. And 
Maka has come up in the conversation and our teacher who is a female hormone expert, um, pelvic um, pelvic pain therapist, I can't remember, Um, but she from her clinic has found that um, those who are going through menopause really benefit from Maka, but she's found that anyone with an estrogen dominance, which is usually the case with endometriosis, seem to not... um, react very well to it that is my experience um my endometriosis symptoms seemed to heighten when I was taking maca I just felt a bit odd and all over the place and um this seems to be the findings of our teacher and course leader as well so if you've got any confusion about maca um Kate and I clear up a bit in this conversation but then also I found this out later so um you know, we're all different, so feel free to try it. But this seems, there's no evidence to say that it increases estrogen, but it, the experiences of people I've spoken to, um, it seem it seems to have a bit of an unusual effect. So just be aware of that. Anyway, that's just a little bit of info. Um, I think you're going to love this episode. I hope you love this episode. Um, I will leave you to it. Enjoy. So... One thing that really, or two things actually, that really struck me about the book is firstly your personal story and how menopause really um, kind of opened a new world for you in terms of like learning about your body um, and really reflecting on society. And so I found that really interesting because even though I write and talk about endometriosis, one thing that I haven't yet explored on the podcast is the menopause. So I'm quite in, like, obviously I know you don't have endometriosis, but I'm quite interested in bringing that into my discussions more because it isn't a topic that I cover enough or society covers enough really. And then what also fascinates me is just how much you learn about hormones on this journey and how much we all still have to learn about hormones. And they're really, in a way, something that we only pay attention to when we're forced to, I feel. So, yeah, I was just really interested if um, in kind of discussing your own journey. Um, what led you to write The Empowered Woman? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's it's really complex and it. I think it really covers everything. <laughs> you know, that's one of the fascinating things about it is it really, you know, this is how women's brains work is we join everything up. Men, Men's brains, they put things in boxes and they, they look at one thing and then they separate it out and then they look at another thing. And we, we just have everything all connected. And, and when I started delving into this world, it, it really helped me understand how women have a different perspective. I think basically the world we live in is, well, it's changing really fast at the moment, but the world I grew up in was ruled by testosterone and it, it put the values of a testosterone orientated mindset over the values of someone who had more estrogen or oxytocin, things like this in their system. And so and so we grew up measuring ourselves against a set of standards based on people who have a lot of testosterone and then always finding ourselves failing because testosterone is about speed. Testosterone is about confidence. Testosterone is about solutions. And we just don't naturally, and obviously, you know, when we're getting into all this, we're generalizing all the time and we're all on a spectrum. We all have testosterone. You know, it's mm. just how much do we have? It's not like men do this and women do this, but generally women have a tendency to be more this way and we're just we're not so solution orientated we're more for us it's more about connecting it's more about sharing and in this kind of rush to always get to the answer in this rush to always get somewhere we lose so much of that connectivity and we lose so much of what really enriches us as women so we're kind of like chase again you know it doesn't suit women to chase testosterone loves to chase Women love to be chased. <laughs> we love to be the choosers. We love to select. We love to curate. And we love to draw things to us. We love to be attractive. So we attract things in. Um, so we love to pull things towards us. And instead, in our society, we're taught to be running after things all the time. And there is a thrill in that. And there is a place in that. But when we're constantly running after things, we just get exhausted. Um, and then we somehow see that as a personal failing, like, you know, oh, I can't keep up or I'm 
you know, we, we, we have a tendency to internalize, whereas men have a tendency to externalize and look without, outside of themselves for answers. We have a tendency to look within ourselves and blame ourselves. What did I do wrong? How could I have done better? And just, you know, that, that internalization of the problem is maybe the biggest part of the problem, if that makes sense. So us, us not being able to see how, firstly, us not being able to understand our basic biological needs. And like you say, it's kind of crazy that we're in 2018 and we're still kind of explaining to ourselves, like, (laughs) these are our basic needs. They're not wants, they're not desires, they're not, it would be nice. This is our basic hormonal needs as human beings. You know, women need more attention than men. We have more oxytocin. Oxytocin is fueled by attention. We need more attention. We have less serotonin. You know, there's all these kind of basic things that it's not, it's not, oh, it would be nice if we could get this. It's like, this is essential for our well-being. Um, so, so to, to understand what we need and then understand how society doesn't meet that and to really understand how it's up to us to bridge that gap rather than expecting someone else to be able to do it for us and, and, you know, fundamentally expecting the men in our lives to understand us better than we understand ourselves. It's up to us to really put this in place and go, oh, actually, this is what I need to be happy. And and because, you know, I believe, I really believe in working with the universe. I believe that the universe is a abundant, wonderful and supportive place. And so when we actually start working with what is our nature, when we start working with our rhythms and our patterns, then I think quickly things adjust to support us. So it's not like it's not like this massive kind of call for revolution and it doesn't have to be major life shifts. It's just small things where we go, Oh, you know, maybe I need a bit more sleep than my partner, or maybe, you know, it's really important to me that I prioritize getting my yoga in three times a week, or I prioritize spending time with girlfriends um, and getting that nurturing that we get from being a supportive female environment. Um, And just, you know, just making minor shifts that then make all the difference in our, in our happiness. Yeah, completely. And I was really interested in the, so your realisation, this wasn't really something that you, so you said you grew up in a really testosterone heavy society and environment and you were comparing yourself against that. Um, And you, it was when you came to just before, obviously you didn't realise you were hitting menopause until like you started putting the pieces together. But it was that experience that made you realise what you had been, how you'd been living in a way. And yeah, definitely. I've been a single parent for 10 years. And that also caused me to question a lot of what I've been brought up to believe in terms of, you know, women have equality. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really wasn't experiencing that at that period in my life. And, and also, I feel like um, growing up, I'd really traded a lot on my sexuality without realizing it. So being a, you know, slim, petite, white woman, you know, you get a certain amount of, of sexual attention. And I'd use that as a, as a kind of leverage. And then once I was a, a mum and that leverage was taken away from me, I realized how much women parent society is based on our sexuality. And when you're not making yourself objectifiable to men, how suddenly you really downgrade in status. So, you know, that was, that was something I questioned a lot is, you know, why are women really only made visible and made important through their sexuality? You know, it's, way in which we become important in our culture rather than you know the kind of inner wisdom and the innate gifts that we have um and then also you know the way that that mums are downgraded and the struggles that I I really went through were you know the it was really challenging to be able to support children in a, a you know in a holistic way in a society that really puts mothering on the back burner and parenting generally on the back burner and says your career is more important your money is more important your status is more important and just you know put your kids in daycare and you don't need to spend any time with them. You know, the state will look after them. And, you know, what happens when you want to you want to put nurturing at the heart of your life in a society that is very, you know, even more under the current government, they're the most unnurturing <laughs> possible. Okay. Let's do that. And then, yeah, like you say, menopause was really an epiphany for me because I'd always been the kind of person that's like yeah I can do everything you know I never get tired I never get sick I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do that and I'll do everything for everyone and I'll run around and quite happily you know with a smile on my face just 
doing everything for everyone all the time. And then suddenly, you know, I mean, they talk about the kind of scales dropping from before your eyes because your estrogen drops. Estrogen is the pleaser. Estrogen is the hormone that just we want to please. And that's a wonderful thing in women that we love to serve. We love to give. It makes us so happy to make other people happy. And that's that's a wonderful thing when it's got healthy boundaries around it. But what so much of us do is we become pleasers and we become putting everyone else first. I think in my work with women, the thing that I've noticed the most is that women find it so hard to put themselves at the top of their list. So they'll have their kids, their partner, their job, their friends, you know, all the house, all these things. And, you know, maybe self-care will be on their list. You know, maybe maybe you're doing a bit of yoga and meditation things. But we, it's so hard for us to put that at the top of the list and go, I'm going to put myself first. I'm going to make myself happy first. And everything in my life has to go around. Am I happy? Whereas men just do that naturally. Naturally, they go, I'm going to be happy. If you don't like it, that's your problem. And <laughs> you're going to have to deal with it. We find it so hard to do that. And we somehow feel like if we're not running, pleasing everyone all the time, the world is going to fall apart around us. And and maybe sometimes it will, <laughs> you know, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that has to happen. So just that shift of like, okay, really, what's in this for me? Like, who, who am I in all this and how do I really support myself? Because I just really started seeing that if I didn't support myself, I didn't look after myself and I didn't put myself first, I didn't take care of myself, no one else was going to do that either. So I was just getting all these reflections back of how I wasn't really paying enough attention to my, my own happiness in 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 putting everything and everyone else first and trying to save the world. I was really missing out on on my own, not on my own joy, but on my own, I was missing out on something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of that, which we're going to get into is potentially your hormones, the way that it's that kind of lifestyle, um, that go, go, go lifestyle is playing havoc with your with your biology and kind of depleting your energies and using up lots of like, you know, pumping lots of stress hormones around. Um, because, you know, I'm 30, so I haven't hit the menopause yet, but I regularly have those crashes, you know, and, and especially when my estrogen drops at my cycle, I have quite, quite dramatic changes in perspective. Um, Mm. So I just find that really interesting to reflect on a, you know, a longer term scale, looking at your life and how you've been um, living, but then also looking at your your month and thinking, well, why is my, you know, why am I reacting so badly this time when my when my hormones are dropping? Um, it it's just a really, I think it's quite important actually to reflect and and journal these experiences. Yeah. So as we've kind of been dropping all of these um hormone names <laughs> um it could be really good to just talk about the importance of hormones and um how our bodies rely on these to function because some of what you said in the book i i didn't realize and i actually didn't realize that some of the hormones you listed were hormones i knew what they were but in my head they were like just chemicals i didn't you know so it'd be it would be great to i think we often make the mistake of hormones are just like, you know, what drives men to build muscle in the gym and what like drives women to cry at their period. But there's so much more than that. Mm. Basically, they're biochemical messengers and they move around the body really quickly and in really microscopic amounts. So they're really, really hard to measure. And that's why we really have so little information about them. And even the information that we have is kind of vague. So you know, I did read a couple of books specifically on hormones and it's still, it's really hard to pin them down because, you know, also the thing about them is they all work in interrelationships. So what I wanted to do was kind of make a bullet point list of this one does this, this one does this, but it's really hard to do that because they all affect each other. They're all so interconnected that it's, you know, again, it's this kind of web idea rather than a yeah, rather than a bullet point list, you've really got to think of them as a web. And that's why it's so crucial that we keep them all in balance. So one of the most important groups to look at is the stress hormones. And the two main stress hormones are adrenaline and cortisol. 
And nearly everyone, I think the normalization of stress in our culture is one of the most damaging things because nearly everyone is running on either adrenaline or cortisol or both. <laughs> and that has such a knock-on effect on, you know, as you've been saying, on the monthly cycle, but also it's a major contributing factor to diabetes and obesity because of the way it affects insulin um, uptake and right. also leptin, which is the main hormone that regulates appetite. So if you've got elevated cortisol, it causes insulin resistance and leptin resistance, which means it doesn't matter how much insulin or leptin your body creates because you've become resistant to them. You can't uptake those hormones. So you're, if you've got leptin resistance, you're always hungry because leptin is the hormone that makes you feel satisfied with your makes you feel full. So you eat and eat, but you never you never you're making leptin but your body's never receiving it you know that kind of communication pathway is broken and so you're always feeling hungry um you know the 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 ideas around insulin are more more well understood um but you know it's the same thing is you just you're just causing havoc with your blood sugar cortisol is it's called the master hormone because it really kind of lurks in the background and it's one of the ones that is less well known but it really impacts all the others to such a huge degree and cortisol is caused by low-lying stress so it might be money worries it might be um uh, uh, you know an abusive partner or it might be under childhood trauma it might be things that you're carrying from you know child basically all of us have some kind of trauma stored you know no one has this perfect life where we're free of all I know I've never met them. <laughs> no, I've not met them yet. <laughs> childhood and is fully supported and fully expressive in the world. They're very rare those people. Um, so you know, all this causes elevated cortisol, and it just kind of rumbles along in the background, but has a has an impact on all the others. Adrenaline, adrenaline, we we produce in response to a stimulus, but whereas it's meant to be a life saving hormone to help us run faster and just you know not not think about things but just act in the moment quickly to save our lives from the bear or the tiger that's about to eat us instead we're running it all the time because you know just for silly things and you know this is why things like road rage and and all these you know and twitter rage this is <laughs> where that comes from is this adrenaline just we're running on adrenaline we're running on fear anyone who's waking up to an alarm clock and drinking a cup of coffee to start the day that's it you've you've set your adrenals off and adrenaline's addictive so it feels really good it's that busy and important feeling you know when you're rushing around i've got so much to do and everyone needs me and i'm so busy and that's the feeling of adrenaline it makes you feel kind of cool it makes you feel kind of important so it's really addictive but you know you can only go too long on hammering your adrenals before you're gonna either come down with you know it's, it's diabetes or you're gonna get appetite problems or you're going to really see problems with your monthly cycles or thyroid is a big one you know it, you can't because of the interrelationship you can't just really rely on one hormone like that to get you through the day because it's going to cause huge detriment to all the others and am i right in thinking that that can also cause adrenal fatigue oh 100 percent, yeah and i don't know if you know the answer to this but um I just, I'm always kind of thinking about how endometriosis affects all of our areas of our, all areas of our lives, if, you know, if we have it. And one thing that um, I'm quite a highly stressed person, especially living with the condition and just trying to manage it and stay on top of it. Um, and I find myself, I'm tired all the time, but when I go to bed, I can't sleep for a couple of hours. And when I wake up, I feel like someone's hit me over the head with a log and I really, really struggle. And fatigue is something that comes with endometriosis. But I wonder if living this lifestyle where you are, um, you're more likely to be anxious with endometriosis and chronic pain. I just wonder if having higher levels of cortisol because of that stress of living with a chronic disease, whether that, you know, has had an impact on. Yeah, 100%. Um, that yeah. is elevated cortisol. I forget the actual rhythm now, but cortisol um, rises and lowers at different points in the day. And if you can't sleep, that's a real strong indicator of elevated cortisol. That feeling of being tired all day and then waking up around midnight when you should be going to bed that's one of the main indicators of elevated cortisol mm. and 
I mean, I, I kind of want to ask you how to do with that, but we're going to get into that a bit, a bit later, so I'm going to hold on. But um, yeah, it's really interesting. Also, when I was reading the book, the um, the part about lectins really rang some bells for me because like, it's quite a running joke that I'm hungry all the time. Me and my boyfriend find it quite funny that I eat so much more than him. Um, and weirdly enough, last night we had a, a dinner that was really light, but I was like, oh, for the first time, I don't feel like I could eat something else after this. And that never, ever happens. So I had, I spoke to a nutritionist once and they just, they mentioned my blood sugar levels, but um, I didn't know anything about lectin I'd never heard about that so it's just so interesting how it can affect everything because when you have endo you kind of always feel like there's bits of you falling apart <laughs> if that makes sense but then it, you, and you worry that you're being a hypochondriac but then when you learn more and more you're like oh this is making sense now you know yeah. so maybe in some way my you know my hunger and my my weird sleep issues and tiredness is is more to do with how stressed and anxious I am about living with the condition. So, percent yeah. yeah. I mean, you've, you've just described the two main indicators. <laughs> you've got a chronic thing. It's, cortisol ticks along in the background, so it's not like an emergency situation, but it's just something that is, yeah, is causing you stress, you know, on a repeated level. And then those are the two the two main indicators, appetite and, and sleep issues, because of how cortisol affects the melatonin. It's stopping the melatonin getting into its proper cycles. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I could like try and like learn about this all day. <laughs> um okay, so I kind of want to touch upon a few more of the the hormones that um affect us. Um so, for example, like oxytocin and estrogen, um, could you give like an overall view of some of like the main hormones that we are functioning on and, and kind of why they're so important? I know that's quite, there's quite a lot to it, but I don't know. If you, I know your, your characters, yeah, your characters are really helpful. So I don't know if that's. Something yeah, yeah. So, so I kind of, you know, there's much more hormones than this. And as I said, you know, it's a really underdeveloped field of science. So I feel like we're going to discover more and more ways that they interrelate, you know, in the coming kind of few decades. Um, but really what I identified was three groups that are really important to address. So it's the male-female hormones. Um, and then you've got the stress hormones that we just talked about. And then also the, the happy hormones, the hormones that affect our mood. So just, you know, in as much of a nutshell as I can, the two main happy chemicals in the brain are serotonin and dopamine. Um, dopamine is dopamine is the main hormone that's associated with addiction, addictive behaviors. Uh, it's associated with drive and desire. So it's how we go after something. It gives, it's that va va it's that sense of like, oh, this is exciting to me and I want to kind of pursue this thing. Um, and that's, you know, this, that's how you can see how it's associated with addiction because you might know that a behavior is unhealthy. You know, maybe you're a drug addict. Maybe it's just internet addiction, which is so common now. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's a guy and you know that he's not good for you, but you still want to go after him. It's that thing of just like it's in the chase. It's that thing of driving for it and desire for it. So they used to think dopamine was released when we got the thing, when we reached our goal, but they realized that it's actually released in the searching. So that's why the internet's so addictive because you're not really looking for an interesting article to read. You're getting high from the scrolling. You're getting high from the looking through it all. So it's that, it's that kind of sense of chasing. So traditionally, you know, and again, obviously we're generalizing here, but traditionally men's work is more, uh, dopamine orientated you would say because they are goal orientated because of their testosterone and they do have more clear boundaries around their work and they do have much better relationships with money it's one of the big things that's come out of, of sharing this work is women's relationship with money and and how kind of weird I guess that is like we don't have a simple relationship with money and men are much more used to saying this is my job I'm going to get paid for it full stop end of story we're like we're just used to doing things for free so we have a lot of conflict around 
actually asking to get paid for things and, and actually perceiving our, our inner value and what that, you know, what that brings to the table and how that deserves to be rewarded. That's a whole other kind of side stream. Um, but yeah, so, so men's work tends to be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fix this thing. I'm going to get it done. And then you can tick it off the list, you know? So they, they, for them, it's much easier to get that dopamine hit. Whereas women's work traditionally is more repetitive. You know, it's, it's the laundry, you do the laundry, there's more to do. It's the washing up, you do the washing up, there's more to do. You know, you, 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 you know, it's therapy, isn't it? We're, we're caring for each other. All these things, there's not so much tangible results um, at the end of the day. There's not so much a clear delivery of what we did. And so that means naturally we have, or we have a tendency to have lower dopamine levels um, because we're not delivering, you know, in such a tangible, obvious way. So it's really important for us that we build in things both into our daily routines, but also into the the um, the, the bigger picture of our lives where, you know, we're, we're consciously having things that we aim towards. And, you know, we're showing this work, one lady said, it's a good thing to make a list of three things every day that you know you can tick off just so you can get that dopamine hit. So three things that are achievable in the day. And even if the first is write a list. Yeah. <laughs> and then you tick that off. Just satisfaction saying what do I actually do? Because I think women have a tendency to downgrade what we do. And, you know, especially mothers, it's like, oh, you know, I haven't done anything all day, or I'm just a mother, or I'm just at home, you know, just really downgrading and really just kind of seeing really putting a value on, you know, I was really there for my friend when she needed me, or I was really good in that situation about how I put my boundaries up and I said no to someone and I did what I really needed to do, or, you know, which isn't an easy thing for me to do, but I did it. Or you know, I helped that lady with her bag when I was at the station or just like all the tiny little things and to really, because, because it's, it's just one of the ways in which we downplay ourselves and we, because our work, I think, yeah, is less tangible and less obvious. It's important that we consciously, for ourselves, create um, create that dopamine hit because because we need to create dopamine. So if we don't create it around healthy things like, okay, I'm going to make sure I get in three sessions of yoga this week. If we don't create these kind of healthy goals, that's how it's easy to get sidetracked into addictions, addictions, internet addictions, uh, unhealthy relationships these kind of things because somehow you've got to release that dopamine so if you don't if you don't put healthy frameworks around that then it's really easy to get sucked into unhealthy patterns um serotonin women make half as much serotonin as men i found that so crazy but then when i read it i was it makes so much sense (laughs) yeah and men rebuild serotonin twice as quickly And one of the main ways we create serotonin is by talking. So women literally need to talk at least twice as much as men. We need, it's not a, it would be nice. We need to talk more than men in order to be happy. So, (laughs) you know, just find a woman to talk to. (laughs) Yeah, I find that so fascinating because like you've had, you know, for years people like roll their eyes and be like, oh, you know, the women are chatting away, like chatterboxes, like, oh, you know how long women talk, blah, blah. I mean, my my mum and my nan will be on the phone to each other for four hours. I have no idea. A lot of it's like repetition. They repeat themselves a lot, (laughs) but they talk for like four hours. And so, but there's a reason why we do it. Absolutely fascinating. And another thing that um, I notice is now that I'm self-employed, I do a lot of work from home and I've really kind of noticed like a low mood creeping in. But I can go a whole day without talking to anyone. And if my boyfriend's working late and doesn't come home till later on, then I'm eating alone as well. And um you know, you know that community is important for well-being, but I didn't realise it actually, you know, chemically changed the way your brain was working. Well, there's nothing like a good, juicy conversation with one of your girlfriends. There's, you know, you can be, you know, again, it's a common thing for mothers as well because like like you're saying, you know, being self-employed, working from home, a lot of mums are just at home isolated a lot of the time. And you can be in your head, you know, you can be 
really tossing and turning over something and really like this feels really heavy you know maybe it's your relationship maybe it's your work some kind of you know boundary issue and it just feels really heavy and then you just sit with a girlfriend for an hour and you pour your heart out about it and you leave that conversation just feeling oh I can deal with this or it wasn't as bad as I thought it was or you know actually it's the other person's fault it's not really me why am I taking it all on like just that power of conversation and men don't obviously you know again to be clear we're generalizing but men don't need it in the same way we really need it we really need to have that sharing time oxytocin as well we have a lot more oxytocin and oxytocin is the main bonding hormone so it's produced during pregnancy labor breastfeeding uh during sex from a hug um we need to make a lot more oxytocin so we need a lot more physical contact it's also um it needs attention. It's created by attention. So women need more attention than men. They don't need as much attention. So it's really important that we understand that and not be needy towards our, and in fact, I don't want to say the word needy because that's a really charged word. We have needs and that shouldn't be seen as a negative, <laughs> but rather than putting that onto our, our primary relationship, understand that these are real needs and we need to go and get them met. So to have some kind of time where we just you know maybe you just have a have it's one girlfriend that you know that you, or you know in the case of your mum and your grandmother <laughs> they know they get that conversation and they get that need met well maybe it's a group that you join but to really consciously build that into your framework of life of just like having it doesn't have to be women but having people around you that are that are there for you both both to hear you but also um just to give you a hug <laughs> And to look you in the eye, make eye contact. And, you know, that's why the internet just really doesn't work for women in the same way it works for men, because we need the physical contact. We need eye contact. We read faces. We read facial expressions in a different way from men. And we need to just, yeah, like just hold hands or have a hug or all that stuff. You can't, you can't get that online. (laughs) (laughs) So... I think, I mean, we've covered a lot of this actually, but with endometriosis, we, we are like prone to get into depression, um, more than someone without. Um, and obviously we're talking about serotonin and dopamine and you've given some really amazing tips, um, on how we can boost those levels to support us with low mood or depression. Are there any other like easily, like easily implemented, Um, actions we could take I don't know if anything around food or something yeah well I think actually being in nature is like the primary one they have a name for it now which is ecotherapy but it's the power of because we're bacteria you know we're made of bacteria and cells that's all we are we're just a bunch of bacteria a bunch of cells and actually we host to more bacteria than we have cells because bacteria is so microscopic we have trillions and trillions of bacteria and when we're inside when we're in an urban environment we're not getting that connection to nature and so just the power of just being in some fresh air and um yeah, just being in the natural environment. And obviously, the more pristine and the more wild the natural environment, the more healing that is. But again, you know, it's the same as like we're saying, just how a, an hour chat with a girlfriend can shift your mood so massively. Just an hour's walk in some beautiful nature can also just kind of reset and put you back into into harmonies. Yeah, it's such a powerful thing and completely free. Um, and then the other thing, I'm a really big fan of superfoods and, um, you know, particularly the Chinese tonic herbs, the traditional Chinese medicine as a way of supporting the system. So, you know, Chinese medicine's thousands of years old and pop- practiced by the most populous nation in the world. There's so much wisdom there we can draw. And they really understand the body from a holistic perspective in the way Western pharmaceutical medicine you know, utterly fails to do. So they really understanding of the different energy systems in the body and how health is about supporting those energy systems rather than just waiting till you get sick and then intervention, um, which doesn't really ever work. It's just, you know, like a sticking plaster approach. Chinese medicine is all about supporting the system so that you're, you know, hope you're going to stay in balance. Um, so there's there's three categories of herbs. There's the Jing herbs, the Shen herbs, and the Qi herbs. 
So um, I guess if someone was interested, they would just go online and just kind of find, you can kind of see which ones you're low in. But um, Jing's associated with, your Jing is it, your kidneys associated with adrenals. So when you have adrenal fatigue, you've got low Jing, they say. So any herbs that support your Jing energy are going to be supporting your adrenals and your kidneys. So primarily the back, black foods, actually, so black bean, black sesame, black rice, um, all these things are really supportive. Maca is one of the best things to support your adrenals. So maca delivers energy, whereas caffeine robs energy from your adrenals and just always leaves you on the back foot. Maca supports the adrenals, so it gives you energy. But it's it's so it's so good for um, just that kind of um, yeah. I guess support is the best word. It just it's really strengthening. It's really good for stamina. Mm. How do you take your maca? Because when I've tried it in the past, it doesn't really react very well with me. And I was just wondering, do you have yours like in a smoothie or on your breakfast? Or Yeah, I mean, the thing with maca, because it is a really powerful adaptogen and it does rebalance the hormones, probably because your hormones are so out of whack, it's, it's having quite a strong effect on you. So it isn't for everyone. Um... I would try if you feel like maca isn't really working for you. I would try and look at some of the other Jing herbs, like Eleuthero is a really good one. Um, um, Siberian ginseng, um, Astragalus is a really good one. But it just, it just, I don't want to get too deep into it now because it's like again, it's like a whole. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but if you go away and research Jing herbs, it, you can just get Jing herb formulas. We have them on our website, rollerwing.eu. Oh, amazing! Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, they can be really powerful. Um, Maca, I just have a drink usually in the afternoon, you know, but you know, it's really common to get that afternoon energy slump around yeah. 3 p.m. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm familiar with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's when I have it, um, you know, after kind of a couple of hours after lunch and before dinner, a couple of hours before dinner, um, I make a drink. So in the winter, which is most of the time in the UK, I make it into a hot drink, um, I usually use coconut butter and maca and then put some stevia in a sweetener and then maybe some other herbs as well. Or you can do a hot chocolate like that as well. And then, yeah, when it's – there's a recipe on my website on capemagic.com. There's a recipe for macappuccino. Oh, cool. Can I yeah. put that – I'll put that in the show notes if you just um, – yeah, send me over a link. That's great. Yeah. Um, but when it's, when it's hotter, if it ever is hotter in this country – then I usually make a hemp milk or almond milk and put it in that and just drink it down. So I have about a tablespoon a day, um, and that seems to be like the kind of average dose that people stick on. But some people do more if they've got hormonal issues. Um, some people do even more than that. But if you're new to macro, I start with a teaspoon and just kind of see how you get along because it can be quite it can be quite powerful. Mm. And yeah, I mean, for anyone who's listening and they've tried it and had a similar reaction maybe it is to do with the endo I when I was taking astragalus I haven't taken it for a while but I felt so much better so um I do want to start implementing that back into my diet so if there's anyone listening and they don't quite get on with maca I maybe astragalus is a better mm-hmm. option for people with endo uh, or eleuthero as well Siberian ginseng okay perfect and um I mean we've We've covered this quite a lot, you know, the, the men and women and their hormones. But um, I think I think my listeners have heard me talk about this before. It's obviously a sore spot. But um, before I went self-employed, I worked in an office where it was actually 50-50 male-female. But um, the everyone else had so much more energy than me. Um, and the men were just like... It was a very small environment and I was just so struck by how they were the same every day. They were the same and they were on point every day and they were so, so sharp. And I had days where, I mean, I couldn't even remember words halfway through a sentence. Um, And of course, I've got I've got more issues going on than your, you know, more healthier average person. Um, But it still comes down to hormones as well because you know it would get a lot worse during my cycle when I'm when I'm ovulating I can take on the world I'm like fire (laughs) um it lasts for a couple of days um not quite a week I don't think but um but yeah and I was just wondering 
how do you suggest that we best work with I know you know stop beating ourselves up and stop comparing ourselves to men because I think part of the issue that we're facing at the moment is we're in this really beautiful time where women are rising up and um the kind of illusion of patriarchy is beginning to fall but we've still got this this growing pain where um in order to be equal some of us believe that we need to be the same as men but that's not equality you know it's actually about rising up in our own power um, and society and enabling us to do that rather than stopping us from doing that so how yeah I just kind of how do you how, what would you recommend if you are in a situation like that or you're just feeling out of your power in comparison to men and, you know, you're hijacked by your hormones? It's a brilliant question. It's a really fundamental question, I think. The thing to understand about testosterone is they have testosterone cycles, um, but they have them every few hours. So they do have ups and downs like we do, um, but they're much more consistent. So as you so rightly say, men have like a, they have a consistency to them that we don't have. And and ours, we have, I think we all have a light and a dark. We all have a side to ourselves that's outgoing, that's extrovert, that wants to be around people, that's confident. And we all have a side to ourselves that's more inward, more reflective, um, you know, just, just the, the shadow side, if you like. You know, that's just being human is we all have a light and we all have a dark. And... With men, it's just much more regular. It's much more like a metronome and they've just much more understanding of where they are within that rhythm and who they're going to be from one day to the next. And because our cycles are over a 28-day period, uh, our, our variance is much huger. So, you know, like you just said, when we're feeling good, we feel amazing. We feel like we can take on the world. And when we're... Or even saying we feel good is like the wrong way to frame it. But when we're feeling in that mode, you know, that's we, there's so much energy there and so much power. And the world can feel frustrating. The world can feel limiting because it's like, where's the outlet for all this female power I'm experiencing right now? How do I express this in the world? You know, and then at other times of the month, everything can feel really overwhelming. It can feel just too much it's like can we not have a day off (laughs) (laughs) yeah just slow down like this is all going too much so we have this bigger extremes but I think we have to see that as a strength rather than it's always been framed as a weakness women are seen as erratic women are seen as inconsistent women are seen as emotional women are seen as moody and rather than frame it like that we have to reclaim that energy we have to reclaim that power and a lot of the the shadow side of, of our work, a lot of the, the dark side, the reason why that's framed in such a negative way is because it's suppressed. So, you know, when we're in our progesterone part of our cycle, progesterone is framed as the bitch. Well, at that point, when we're in that point, we're seeing things in a really clear way and they feel really, they feel they feel really important. And then when the estrogen rises again, because estrogen is the pleaser, estrogen is the estrogen wants to make everyone happy we just put that on the forefront again so we have to look at the way society frames estrogen as more as more acceptable than progesterone when we're in the pleasing part of our cycle we're framed as good and when we're in the reflective part of our cycle the reason we produce progesterone the main kind of biological imperative is that we are getting ready to create that baby and we are looking around and saying is this a safe place in the world to to raise a child is this the kind of world that I want to bring a baby into am I secure here is everything good for me here so that's the imperative progesterone is to look around and go am I okay and and sadly so much of the time when our progesterone is high we're looking around going am I okay and we're going no I'm not and and it's this huge suppression of female power that that makes that maybe come out in a I, I held a workshop a couple of weeks or last weekend I held a workshop here and there was a woman who was really insightful and had really wonderful things to say and she'd thought about this work a lot she was you know she really had wonderful viewpoints 
But around that, obviously, she's not heard enough and her viewpoint isn't appreciated enough. And she's had a lot of challenges in her life. And so the way she delivered her her material, her her message, there was a lot of charge around that. And there was a lot of um, just it, it was hard to receive it at points because she was so like, you know, there was there was a lot of pain around it, I guess. So this is the kind of this is what happens is we there's a there's a suppression of female power and a lot of times when we try and express that it comes across with a charge that makes it hard for people or specifically men to receive because it's a deep wound it's a really deep wound so it's really I think about coming to terms with that wound and finding ways that we can express it and being aware of how we express it and being aware that that part of our truth can be really, really different from the part of our truth that we're expressing at another time of the month. But that doesn't make us inconsistent. It doesn't make us wrong that we're able to occupy these two kind of spaces. And I think that's the that's the strength of menopause, of a healthy menopause, is that the, we've come, we've experienced this kind of light and dark in ourselves throughout our adult life, throughout our teens, our twenties, our thirties, and we've learned how to embody you know, both those aspects of what it means to be a woman and then we can bring them together into a new phase of being and which, you know, is really wise and really strong and really compassionate and and can really um, benefit the world if, if it's given a place, if it's given a voice. But too much of the time we kind of pit those two sides against of ourselves and, and also frame that one side as being as being bad and it's it's you know that's where the whole problem comes if if you're framing a part of yourself as wrong and trying to suppress it it's just going to get even worse (laughs) yeah completely and it's so interesting about the you know the that biologically we're looking around like is this a is this a place where I want to raise a child because when (laughs) when I'm due on I get we're trying to move at the moment and I've been wanting to move for about three years um to the sea and I'm in London at the moment and whenever I'm due on I'm just like I hate London I don't want to be here anymore and it's just like it rubs me up entirely the wrong way so I'm obviously really looking at my environment and feeling like this isn't a place that I feel nurtured or safe anymore or you know or well anymore um so it's just so interesting that I notice it then it makes it all makes so much sense it's absolutely like fascinating so last question um the obviously throughout your book there's a very big theme of you know the patriarchal society um and how that affects us and especially how it affects our hormones or how we perceive our hormones and um our emotions how do you feel that we can get our hormonal needs met when we're living in like a society that is still currently operating under like patriarchal standards and could still be for quite a while I think you know it's changing but it could still take quite a while so given all of these pressures how can we like you know meet those hormonal needs um so that we can become more empowered I think the the, the first thing is it's our own inner dialogue. It's it's the way we value ourselves and the way we talk to ourselves. That's what has to come first. And just, you know, like we've been saying, it's an appreciation of yourself as a woman and seeing the things that are female, seeing those traits as power rather than weaknesses, and then really, really illustrating that. Because, you know, we lead by example, don't we? We don't lead by instruction we 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 teach by imitation people learn by seeing what's done around them and use from that rather than me telling you what to do or you telling someone what to do so it's setting the boundaries for yourself of like what is a healthy amount of work that I can do without feeling stressed you know what is a healthy amount that I can give to the people around me without feeling stressed what do I need to feel how much sleep do I need you know how important is it to me that I eat properly like putting all these things of self-care these these physical aspects of self-care but also the emotional the inner world of self-care of not beating ourselves up all the time of not feeling like we're not good enough that we have to prove something that we're failing that we if we can't keep up with this pace we have a different rhythm we have a different rhythm from this 
patriarchal nine to five rhythm. And most of us find it a struggle. Most women find it a struggle to fit that nine to five rhythm for a long period of time. So, so it's to, to work, to find out ways for yourself that you can, you can create rhythms and patterns in your life that suit you. And, you know, like I was saying, it is actually just usually minor adjustments, but a minor adjustment can make all the difference. If you just say, you know, like one woman I was, um, coaching she was like well I have to get up in the morning to make the breakfast for the kids and I'm like well why can't your partner do that and she's like well he doesn't he he, you know he he, he would I'm like well you've got to make him you've got to make him just half the time half because she was saying she wasn't getting enough sleep so I'm like half of the week he has to get up and make the breakfast and if she gets an extra four hours sleep a week because of that, that could be enough to tip her out of fatigue and into feeling better about herself. And from that, she can make a different decision and be like, actually, now you've agreed to take that on. I also need you to agree to do this thing once a week as well. Give her another couple of hours so that she can just, I don't know, take a bath or or have that all important a walk in the park with her girlfriend. Or So, you know, it's actually really small changes a lot of the time. Um, but just really tuning into ourselves and going actually firstly self-validation like I'm whole I'm complete I'm good enough as I am I don't need to prove anything to anyone I don't need to do anything for anyone there's nothing I have to do that is that is necessary for my well-being apart from just loving myself and being myself so coming from that standpoint and then just how do you yeah how do you what cues can you give the people around you to yeah to appreciate you in that way just for who you are not for everything that you're going to do for them (laughs) (laughs) yeah completely I think my mum's been experiencing that in the past few years and it's really interesting to see the transformation in her um absolutely yeah really interesting so um the people that love us want us to be happy. So why is it so hard for us to just put our happiness first? Because if the if if you're if you're if the people who are around you love you, they're going to love it that you're happy. And if they don't love it that you're happy, then you don't need them in your life. But we just have so much guilt around like, oh, I you know, am I really going to have a lion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really going to take an afternoon off to go to the park with my girlfriend. Um, you know, we have so much guilt around that. So it's it's about removing that guilt and going, no, this is necessary for my happiness. And if you care about me, you're going to be happy that I'm happy. It's not laziness. You know, again, just to finish off when we were doing the workshop last weekend, you know, one of the women was like, I don't need this. This isn't a luxury. This is just what I need in order to keep up with all the demands on me. This is just what I need in order to be able to function in society. So it's not like, you know, we kind of frame this as some kind of, yeah, again, weakness or luxury or self-indulgence. But it's like, no, this is necessary for my happiness and my happiness is important. And it's important not just to me, but it's important to everyone. Everyone around me should care as much about my happiness as I do. <laughs> Absolutely. That's an amazing place to end on. Uh, Kate, thank you so much. I'm just this conversation has been so enlightening and interesting to me. And yeah, I just think it's a brilliant book. I'm going to put the link to your book in the show notes, along with that lovely maca recipe and anything else that you um, would like me to put in that you think listeners might find um, useful. But thank you so much for coming on. I'm just, I'm sure that people are going to resonate with this and find it so helpful in their own lives. I'm interested in, you know, getting some comments and feedback on this conversation because I've just, it's definitely helped me. So thank you absolutely so much. Thank you for your brilliant questions. Oh, thank you. Take care and I hope you have a lovely weekend. Thank you, Angie. So that's it. I really hoped you enjoyed this episode and you got lots of useful information out of it on how to work with your hormones. Um, If you are interested in reading the book, the link is in the show notes. Kate's website, um, her two websites, We're All Living and Kate Magic are in the show notes. She does hold courses, retreats, workshops. So if you want to kind of get into this more, get your teeth into it more, you could go to something like that. So um, have a look at what she's got available on her site. Um, As always, if you like this episode, please share, rate or review it. Every little action you take helps um, others around the world to hear it. 
If you want to say hi, I'm on Instagram at this underscore endo life and I'm also on Facebook at this endo life with a capital T, E and L. Um, if you'd like to join the book club, that's on Facebook as well. Um, just search this endo life book club. Um, endo life is one word, book club is one word and just request access and next time I'm on I will um, accept you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, yeah. I really hope you enjoy the season so far and I can't wait to share who's next in two weeks time. Bye.